Thank you for having me. Thank you for arranging it, for showing up. And uh, hopefully we'll gain some insight into a couple of things that are about to happen in the calendar year. This week is Parsha Zacher. Parsha Zacher, we know, is a Mitzvah Dairaisa. So as much as I really wanted to talk about Purim, and it's exciting, but I felt that we can't pass up a Mitzvah Asei Dairaisa over a Durabonon, and it's gonna be, it comes around once a year. And it actually... Many people make sure to d- say the Sheish Zechiris, the six things that a person is constantly supposed to remember. People say it all the time. And I feel like this is a very important point, and therefore, obviously, Purim is a manifestation of that biblical command to remember that we're supposed to wipe out Amalek and what they did to us. So therefore, I want to focus on the, on the, actual, the actual mitzvah, or what we're supposed to take out of it, which is much more of a general theme than more specific for Purim. We know we're going to learn this week, We have to remember what Amalek did to us. I think we all know what he did, and we're still not sure why Hashem is so upset about it. It was, it was, it was not nice. It was not nice, I agree. But for that, there should be a, a hatred, a sinner, that's eternal, where... It's almost, Mashiach depends on it, and it depends on Mashiach. It's one of the three things when we enter Eretz Yisrael, we have three jobs when we get into Eretz Yisrael. The Gemara says in Sechta Sanhedrin. Number one, we have to appoint a king. Number two, wipe out Amalek. Number three, build the base of Megdash. If we would have done everything the way we're supposed to, we wouldn't be here today. We would be in our homeland with Malach Mashiach. Everything would have been perfect. But you would think, you would think that something that's as important as... Wiping out a Amalek would be something we can understand what they did wrong. They came and they attacked us, and we beat them. It, was, it, was, it wasn't that big of a deal. Why are we getting so excited about it? What, what's the point? And why do we have to come together every year and talk about it and celebrate it? And really, what's really bothering me, and I think a lot of people are bothered by this, is it, it seems to be a contradictory command. It's, it's a sectarian to us a little bit. We're supposed to remember what he did, and we have to wipe him out. So we're supposed to forget him. Timcha, erase Amalek, the remembrance of Amalek. Don't forget to forget about him. Don't forget to wipe him out. That's that's counterintuitive. Uh, the best would be let's not talk about it for a few years. And like a lot of things in history, when you stop talking about it for a few years, everybody forgets about it. And yet we have a commandment to talk about it which doesn't let us forget about it, when the point is to wipe him out. Giving him such a platform of, let's talk about it every year, is seemingly going against what we should be doing. So, in fact, the Ramban over there, on the Pasuk in Parshas, on Parshas uh, B'Shalach, when it talks about, and in Parshas Kisese, when it talks about what happened with Amalek, the Ramban alludes to that Purim is really representative in this story. Because we know that Haman came from that lineage, his grandfather, Agag, his grandfather, all the way back up to Amalek. And it's, it's like a cancer, apparently. If you don't get rid of it totally, it always comes back. And therefore, and therefore, when we left Agag around, and we're going to lay it off Torah this week, we're going to hear how Shalom Melech had one job. And that job was to wipe out the Amalek's I'm a, uh, the, and he didn't he so to speak let 
one cancerous cell still around, and that bore Haman hundreds of years later. So the point of remembering to forget to, to, to forget them or to wipe them out, better yet, is to make sure we get every single cancerous cell. Make sure we get it totally. S- to the point where we could ask the question, we know the Torah is eternal. So what happens once we wipe them out? There's now only 612 mitzvahs? I mean, it, it seems to be, it seems to be, doesn't make sense. I mean, the Torah goes forever. Once we're done with them, we're done with them. And the Menchus Chinuch asks this question. He says, what happens once we wipe them out? Maybe it's not a mitzvah in the Torah. Because if it's a mitzvah in the Torah, it has to be eternal. So we want to suggest here tonight something where even if we could wipe them out, we will show that the fight against Amalek is still eternal. And I, I want to start out with a, with a little bit of an interesting Gemara. The Gemara says, in Masechus Megillah, the Gemara talks about a Pasuk that Yaakov Avinu states. Pasuk in Tehillim, Al-Titein Ma'vaye Rasha, Zemamaya Al-Tafek Yerumusela. Pasuk in Tehillim, chapter 140, if you want to look it up yourself. The Gemara, the Gemara talks about that Pasuk, and the Gemara says that Yaakov Avinu said that Pasuk. What did he mean by that Pasuk? What, what's it alluding to? So the Gemara tells us, and I'm going to quote to you the Gemara itself because it's, it's hard to believe that the Gemara said this. Amar Yaakov Lufnei HaKadosh Baruch Yaakov Avinu said to Hashem Master of the world I'm asking you please don't give Esav what he desires. What does Esav desire? Zemamay al His zamem is a muzzle. al Tafik. What does this mean? Zugermamia shall edem. This is referring to a place in the world called Germamia shall edem. Shall molehen yaitzin, because if they, what this nation of Germamia shall yavan, would have the opportunity, if they could go out and attempt to conquer the world, they would be able to. There's one nation, says Yaakov, you know, and he begs Hakadosh Baruch I'm begging you, don't let them get away with it, because if they can, they will destroy the world. Who's this nation? Gemam Yashel Yavon. I think if you think of the etymology of the word, word it's pretty easy. And the Yavitz says this very clearly. The Yavitz, living in the 1700s, couldn't have known what was going to happen in the 1900s. But he says, Gemam he says, I think he's supposed to change one letter. It's Germania. Germania, Germany. He says, what Germany will do if they only had the power to do it, Yaakov already saw this and he begged Hashem, don't let them get that power. Because when, they're go, when they go unchecked... Now, we, we've all potentially heard that there's a, a link, a connection between the Germans, the Nazis, Yemach Shemam and Amalek. There's about many such stories, many interesting things that happen. I, I, I want to say over one interesting story and one interesting vignette. And the story goes with the Chassam Seifer. Chassam Seifer lived in the 1820s. When he turned 20 years old, he decided that he turned 20, and the Gemara talks about turning 20 as a big number, and he decided that he was going to do something special for his 20th birthday. So what did he do? So he decided to fast for three days straight. Don't take it upon yourself. He was an unbelievable person in size and stature also, in physical stature, besides his greatness. But he was a student of Reb Nassim Adler, and he asked Reb Nassim Adler, his Rebbe, 
Is it okay that I want to take it upon myself? And his Rebbe gave him the go-ahead. He didn't do anything without his Rebbe. His Rebbe gave him the go-ahead. And after fasting for three days straight, if you can only imagine what it feels like, I mean, we don't have a coffee in the morning, and, and the re- re- everybody that stops by a red light for too long is already in the way. So he didn't, ha- he didn't eat for three days straight. And then his Rebbe told him that you will see there will be a sign from Shemayim that Hashem has accepted your prayers. That you should grow up to be something special. And on the third day, towards the evening, he's walking through a little bit of a farmy area. And it was on the outskirts of town. And a, a bunch of bandits or a bunch of people got together and started attacking the group. And the group dispersed. And the Chesam Sefer happened to have been davening Shemayin He was davening his Mincha his, his Shemayin and all of a sudden he hears Pekuach Nefesh. He turns around and he sees that there's a bunch of guys coming with, you know, with, they didn't have the nicest intent. And he turns around and he, he sacks one in the face. And he, he knocked him out so hard. I'm sorry for, we're talking about the leader of the generation when he was a 20-year-old. He knocked, after three days fasting, he knocked him out. Literally, he killed him. And the Sefer was horrified. Horrified. Like, how could this, like, how could this happen to me? How could I have this? And he, and he went to his Rebbe and he said, Rebbe, like, wh- what does this mean? He says, what this means is Hashem is proud of you. Hashem sent you a mitzvah that nobody in the world gets the opportunity to do. He sent you a purebred Amaleki and he gave you a mitzvah opportunity that nobody else has gotten in a long time. So that means Hashem is, is nodding at you and he's like, I'm proud of you. Now, obviously, we're not looking, we're not looking to go around to find some good, you know, um, Amaleki, but there's an interesting vignette that I want to share. There was uh, in Eretz Yisrael, the Briskerov, and Reb Chaim Salavechik's son, the Briskerov, and he was a very penetrating mind. He was analytical and he thought about things, but he always got very intimidated by somebody else, the same age, he was known as the Chibinarov. The Chibinarov, his mind was almost the opposite of the Briskerov. The Briskerov was a slow, deliberate, analytical mind, and the Chibinarov knew the entire terror backwards and forwards, like you could ask him anything, anywhere, and on the spot he had what to say. And a lot of times the Briskerov would get Chalisha Sadas, meaning he would feel very down about himself when he would meet the Chibinarov, because it's an intimidating figure when you get to somebody that knows everything. It's a very intimidating figure. And many times he went home crying, the Briskerov, that he wants to be like the Chibinarov. But one time, this is, this is a great story, one time a person came over to the Briskerov, a Talmud of the Briskerov, and he asked him, he says, listen, I have a question. Let's say I found that I'm a lakey. I got a hold of his whole lineage, we went back, he's pure, he's definitely an Amaleki. I can't kill him, right? We know we live in a country that we, we can't just go around killing people, granted. Do I have a mitzvah to at least break his leg or sack him in the face to like knock out an eye? Is that like a part of a mitzvah? I can't do it totally. Like in, 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 in the concentration camps, they couldn't eat a kazayas of matzo. But everybody tried to get a morsel of matzo. Something, right? I can't shake all four species on sukkahs. But if I could get my hands on arabas, should I at least do that? Something? So I can't kill, I can't kill Amaleki. 2022, America doesn't let. But let's say I find out my neighbor's Amaleki. 
I, I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm not suggesting it. I'm not... Just a question to think about. Is there something in at least bruising him? Now, this is not a type of question you want to ask in the public forum because it sounds like you're looking for, for trouble. And I'm not asking it, and I'm not suggesting it. I'm just bringing out the point, the thought. So he went to ask the Breskirov, and the Breskirov says, oh, I don't know. But if you go ask the Chibinirov, I guarantee you it's a Beferi Shigemaro, Rashi, or Taisus. Guaranteed. And he went to the Chibinirov, and you have to appreciate the genius, and, and, and the Chibinirov said it is. It's an explicit Rashi. Now, I'm not going to get into what, where we find it in a Rashi. It's a Rashi in Masechtas Pesachim. But Rashi says clearly that damaging somebody is like Mechias HaMalik. That's what Rashi says. So even if you can't, but you still have to damage them, which only begs the question even more. What's the point of damaging something? What's the point? What am I gaining? If, I ha- if, I'm, if you tell me wipe it out, you say get rid of it totally, fine. We can talk about that. What the point of that is, not sure. But just to damage it, really the question needs to be pondered. Why? What's the point? What am I going to gain by making him limp for the rest of his life? What am I, I going to gain? He's still around. He's still the same problem, ostensibly. Otherwise, there's no reason for me to do it. So what's the point? So, I'm sure everybody heard of Rev Cook. Right? Yeah, okay. So Rev Cook had a Talmud that not everybody heard of. His name is Ramoshet Tzvi he wrote down many things from Rav Cook that we have today that aren't in any of his firm. And he wrote a sefer called Mayade Hori'iyah from, from Rav Cook. And he says there a fascinating idea, a fascinating concept. And I think it's something that we need to run with. Grab it and run with it. We know in Hilchah Shabbos, the rule is, there's 39 granddaddy of Malachas that we're not allowed to do. There's a lot of like subsidiary things that you know come off of that, but there's 39 main things. One of them is meichik. One is not allowed to erase. erase. You're not allowed to go over to a paper or a file, take out, and start erasing. The question I'm going to ask is why? Why can't I erase? All the other of the 39 malachas are all constructive acts. This is a destructive act. Destructive acts are prohibited on Shabbos? Absolutely not. Mechalkal on Shabbos is putter. I'm not saying it's mutter, but it's putter. You, you don't get punished for doing it. Why is there an iser, why is there a prohibition to erase? And the Gemara says, you're right, erasing is not the prohibition. The prohibition is er- erasing in order to write something else anew on that spot. Meaning, if I'm just erasing because I don't want anybody to see what I had written, you're not medarayisachayv on Chil Shabbos. You're not. You're only chayiv on Shabbos if you're erasing with the intent to be able to write up on top of the place where you erased. It's called, in the Lashon of Chazal, in the Lashon of Shulchan Aruch, I'm erasing for the purpose of being able to write. If that's the case, if that's how Chazal look at erasing, we must say that when we have a mitzvah to erase Amalek, it can't just be erasing. It can't just be for the purposes of getting rid of... It can't be a destructive act. It needs to be a constructive act. And what we're supposed to do is when we erase, erase Amalek, is we're supposed to write something there instead. We're supposed to take Amalek out and write something there instead. What am I writing instead of Amalek? What, once I take Amalek out of the Sefer Torah, I take Amalek out of the world, I take Amalek out of the, game, the blueprint of the world, the plan of the world, what am I supposed to fill it in with? There's a lot of people out there that like to just destruct, get rid of things. This is no good, let's just get rid of it. Do you have a better option? 
Destruction for purpose of destruction is usually no good. I think they call that cancel culture. You have a better idea what you want to fill it in with, tell us. We can work on it. If there's a better idea, we'll work on it. We'll figure it out. Just to get rid of things, because I don't like it or whatever it is, that, that's, not, that's not healthy. It's, it's, it's not good. We have to have a plan to put into place. So what's the plan? Let's say we're going to be lucky enough this week, we're going to lane, Parsha Zachar, and Hashem's going to be like, I see the Jews are so sincere, we're going to erase our Malik. And Hashem then turns to us and says, and so what would you like instead there? What's your plan? What, what would you like instead? What are we putting instead of Amalek? So the answer to that question, we can only discuss if we first find out what Amalek really represents. Because we need to erase what he represents and who he is to figure out what we want in lieu of that and what we're putting in, instead of with it. So, there's a Pasuk in the Ula in the beginning of the Torah where HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at the world and Hashem sees that so to speak, plan A didn't work. This is already plan B, to be totally honest, because plan A was in Gan Eden, everything was going to be great. We're on plan B already. Man is down here doing his thing. At the end of Parshas Gracious, Hashem looks at the world and he's like, I don't like what's going on. I think I need to bring a flood. But the wording over there is, Vayar Hashem, and Hashem saw ki rabbi rasa Adam, that there's a lot of evil in man, Baaretz, down here on the land, and all his thoughts, all his intent, everything he's doing all day, what's he plotting and thinking? Rak, rak, kol hayoy. It's bad all day long. 24-7-365. That's what man is. Man has become bad 24-7. The last letters of rak, ra, kol hayoy, rak is a kuf, ra is an ayin, kol is a lamid, Hayoim is a mem, Amalek. The last letters of Rak, Rak, Kal Hayoim represent Amalek. Something that's bad all day, every day. Now, we have to look at the world to try to figure out what's bad all the time. But we got a hint. The Torah is telling us when you look for Rak, Rak, Kal Hayoim, when you look for something that's bad, 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 you just discovered Amalek. What's bad? What's so inherently bad full time, 24 7? There was, a, uh, there was a tzaddik, his name was the Skolya Rebbe. He survived the Holocaust and he came to Williamsburg and he rebuilt the Hasidus. And I don't know how rebuilt it is really, there's a few Hasidim still around, Skolya Hasidim. And he says a very fascinating gematria, a type of gematria that it had to come from Hashem, it had to be, it had to be a message. Like sometimes you have these cute gematrias, like boy, parishes, boy. It's like one of the classic dvartaris. You go for a meal. If anybody ever comes to the meal and says it's dvartari, you can tell them that, sorry, you're not getting food until you come with a different gematria. Why is parishes boy called boy? Because boy equals bays is two and alpha is one, so it's three. And a parishes boy, there's three makes. He doesn't deserve a meal for that dvartari. Because you have to ask him back. So parishes ve'era that has seven makes, so ve'era equals 208. Hmm? When you figure out what ve'era has with 208, you'll get a meal. Right, we all like the easy gematrius. It's so convenient. It's like works so cute. But this one is not like that. This one's for real. This is, this is something that if it wasn't given from Hashem, it, ca- it can't be that somebody would know something like this. Listen to this. A lot of you guys have learned Baba Kama. Anybody learned here Baba Kama? Baba Kama? Baba Kama? Yeah. A couple of people learned Baba Kama. Baba Kama is basically the Masechta and Shas that talks about damages. Now there's four main forms of damage. In fact, the Masechta starts. The first four words, Abba, Abba, Nazikin. 
three words. There are four primary forms of damage. The shur, an ox, not negate today as an ox, but there is still your car is your ox. If your car hits somebody else, that might be a shur. Might be, not, might not be the discussion exactly what shur is today. But in the old days, your shur, your bar. What's your bar? Anything that you cause somebody else to stumble upon. You dig a ditch in your backyard and somebody fell in. Bar, any type of thing that you put out on the street, you left something on the street, and because of that, somebody had to avoid it, it swerved his car, and he got into an accident, that's a bar. Potentially. Again, we're not getting into all the halachic details. Then there's mava and heva. Now, what each one is, it's a machoikis. We'll just translate them both in a very general sense. Mava and heva. One is fire. If you create a fire. So it's not your ox. And you're going to go through why each one has to have its own... It's not your ox. It's not your money, even. I created a fire over here, and it spread, sadly, and burned down somebody else's house. That's my problem. I'm a, I'm a damager. I need to figure out the, the money that I have to pay. And then there's the, the worst of all is us. Us humans. We are damagers. We go around and we damage, sadly. Right? You, you, you took a pen and you were just doodling on a table, and you just scribbled on the guy's table. You just damaged the guy's table. You're, you're not a bar. You're not a shark. You're, you're a mava, if that's what mava means. Those are the four primary types of damage one can do. We're not going to get into the halakhic aspect of But if you take the words shar plus bar plus ma- I'm not going to make you do the math. Shar plus bar plus mava plus heva. I'll do the math for you. It's 1108. 11.08. You know what that equals? The pasuk that talks about Amalek. The pasuk it says, Ki yod al case ba'amalek mi dar dar. That's not a boy gematria. That's not like three letters. The, the, the word Hashem says, Ki yod al case Because my hand is on my throne. And I promise, Muhammad Hashem ba'amalek mi dar dar. This is a battle, a continuous battle for generations. It's a generational battle. Those words have the same numerical value, 1108, which means Amalek represents Shar, he represents Bar, Mav, any type of damage you can come up with in the world. He represents that. Okay, we really need to know what the, who this person is and what this person is represents because who is this person that represents all these horrible things? There's a custom, I don't know if you've ever seen this, there's a custom that many people have when they borrow a pen or they take a pen from the jaw and they want to see if it works. So you, you doodle, right? You make, make a scribble. Some people have the custom... They write the word, and it's brought down the Kava Yasher and the Chidah. Many, many people bring down this idea. Write the word Amalek and erase it. So you just wrote Amalek and you erase it. You were Mitzvah. Why waste such a precious opportunity like just checking to see if a pen works? You can hop around a Mitzvah. Cha-ching and Shemayim, you're getting points. Right? You write Amalek, you scribble it out, you see it works, and then you go write the check that you want to write, whatever, whatever you want to write down. Easy Mitzvah. We can do this all the time. Every time we're checking to see if our pen works, you don't write Amalek, right? Hamam, right? It's, it's so simple. It doesn't cost us any money. Nobody, it's, it's, it's so easy. But what's the point? The point is, again, the point that Rav Cook is saying, that I need to do something destructive in order to create something constructive. I'm erasing Amalek. I'm actually having something constructive. Now I know I have a pen that works. So what are we supposed to do with this? What are we supposed to do about Amalek? What's our plan? This Shabbos, we're going to hear about Amalek. And we're going to get riled up that this man, he's a horrible man, what he did. And we need to wipe him off the earth. And, and something. What? Not sure. What did he do? Not sure. So I want to talk about two quick points. Two quick points. Number one, the Pasuk says 
that Rashi brings this down in the translation of what the Pasuk means, that when Amalek came, he, he attacked the back of the camp. He went to the back and all those people that were, were anyways down about their situation in life because they had just sinned or they were going through a hard time and they got, so to speak, kicked out of the camp. He came from the back and he, and he this, this, was, this was fuel for his fire. This is what we call in English a bully. You want to face me? You want to have a war with me? You want to battle me? Hit me head on. Come talk to me. And if we have to duke it out, we'll duke it out. Alexander Hamilton style. Don't sneak up on all the people that are down, the people that are downtrodden, the people that are feeling so lonely. Oh, that's where you're going to go? Amalek is that representative. Amalek is the representative of the people that like to step on the people that are not feeling good about themselves. Instead of lifting them up and giving them a hug and saying, you know, it's going to be better, it could be better, it will be better, it is better than you think. Amalek is that guy that when you're down, he kicks you. That's something that's so inherently rotten, that's so inherently not okay, that Hashem says, we need to get rid of that. We need to get rid of that. That's, that's, that's not, human beings don't act like that. Proper human beings don't act like that. That's not the way we do things. Therefore, if we're going to erase that bad, the way we're going to do it is from now on, we see somebody down, we're going to turn to Hashem and we're going to say, we're racing Amalek. We see somebody that comes into shul and he looks not as happy as possible. Or we walk by somebody in the street and they, they're not giving us the greatest smile that they can. We go over to them and say, what's wrong? How can we help you? What's going on in your life? Is there something I can do for you? Just know I'm here for you if there's something I can do for you. That's combating Amalek. Amalek wants to take the person that's down and finish him off. And our way to combat that is we take the person that's down and we say, it'll be okay. We're here for you. That's what, that's what friends do for each other. That's what community does for each other. That's what being part of a yid, part of a society, part of a group. We, that's what we do for each other. That's combating Amalek. But that's very easy and very simple. It has to be something more than that. And this is the main thing I want to focus on. And I think... I'm not saying for myself. You'll see from who I'm going to quote. I think that this is, speaks to our generation more than any generation prior. I think maybe a thousand years ago they would have had a much harder time with Amalek than we have today. Today we see Amalek wherever we look. If you just open your eyes and look, you'll see Amalek everywhere. One of the things that the terrorist says about Amalek, about what he did that was so evil and so sinister, was Ashekar Chabaderech. Simply translated, he chanced upon you on the way. It was like, oh, look, the Jews, let's kill them. Obviously, it wasn't like that. We know he came from very far. And if you look in the Rishonim and Chazal, he traveled hundreds of miles to get to us, to face off with us. He didn't just like, oh, look, the Jews. It wasn't like that. He came with a plan. He came with an idea. So what does Asha Karcha Baderech mean? So Rashi tells us, Karcha is from the Lashen of Keri Vitumah. He got us in a place, in our defilement, in our, in our place of where we, we were not feeling very proud of ourselves. We were in a place that wasn't pure and holy. That is, Rashi says, even though Rashi says a dover achar as a second pshat, but many of the say it's not another pshat. Rashi says, Loshin He got us to be cooled off. We were inspired. We went to an event. We saw Maimir Harsinai. 
It happened before Maimar Sinai, but that would be an example. We saw Kriyas Yamsef, we saw the Makis, and we were so enthralled. We were uplifted. We were inspired. Came along somebody, and it's like, eh, he made a joke about it. Eh, whatever. I can, I can take on them. I can take them on. I can take on Hashem, their God. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not scared of them. He caused a coldness in the Avodah Hashem. Being a Yid is being on fire. The Chavetz Chaim used to say, the Chavetz Chaim used to say, in Shemayim they don't have different groups. You're a Svardi, you're an Ashkenazi, you're a Chabatska, you're a Litvak, you're a Hungarian. They don't have such groups in Shemayim. In Shemayim they don't care what type of hat or yarmulke you wear. In Shemayim they have three groups. I'm saying Yiddish and I'll translate. It says, the Heisi Yidin, Yidin, and Kalti Yidin. In Shemayim there are three groups. There are burning Jews, Jews are on fire, there are Jews that are warm, and then there are the cold Jews. You could be a Svarvi, an Ashkenazi, a Litvak, a Chassid, and you could be a cold, sto- stone-cold Jew. And you could be, well, any one of the above I said before, and be a Jew on fire. The minimum we need to be is a warm Jew. Being a cold Jew is, be, is letting Amalek win. Amalek came and he cooled us off. Amalek said, yeah, it was an inspirational speech. But you'd have heard he mispronounced the word. Ha, ha, joke, over, done. The whole inspiration was over. Everything was gone. Warm is, at minimum, is, you know, that's inspiring. Let's do something about it. Let's become better people. Fire is when you actually get into, you jump into the thing. You get inspired so much so that you want it. Fire consumes everything around it. It, means it brings others into this group, into this excitement, into this warmth of Yiddishkeit. Amalek wants us to be cold. He doesn't mind if we're Jews. Be Jews that don't give a hoot. Be Jews, you know, there's a saying out there, he knows Shas cold. I'd like to switch that saying. Why should you know Shas cold? You should know Shas on fire. Amalek wants us to know Shas cold. He wants us to know Tanakh cold. He has no problem as long as you don't care about it. You're a rock. You're frozen. You're in the Siberian gulag camps. That's, that's a good Jew for me. I'm always fine with that. Just don't be inspired. Don't be inspired. It's the worst thing in his mind. What Yiddishkeit, what Judaism is struggling with today, and this is in every community, is that passion, that fire in a davening, in a Shabbos, in a learning, in a Gemos Chasadim, in Shatnas, in everything we do. Are you excited? Or you putting on film because that's what I did yesterday and I've been doing that now for the past 20 years so I put on film. If it's not exciting to you, then I'm all like one. If keeping Shabbos is just a nice time to be able to spend with your family, and it is a very nice time to spend with your family, but if you're not on fire for Shabbos, if it doesn't burn in you, that you want others to be able to enjoy it also, to get consumed by this all amazing light and warmth, so then you're a cold Jew. I'm all like one. You lost to Amalek. Congratulations, you've been beaten, Pac-Man style. You've been eaten. It, it, it doesn't, it has nothing, it mean, Yiddishkeit means nothing to you. I want to quote to you a letter that, not your Menachem Mendel Schneerson, his father-in-law, the Riyats, read in 1943 from his father, the Rashab. So we're talking about three Lubavitcher Rebbes ago, wrote this letter. Now, he didn't write it in English, I guarantee you. But this is the loose translation of the letter that he wrote. He said this over, the Riyats, said this over at a gathering of the Tomchei Tamimim Yeshivas 
and listen to the message that he was giving over the name of his father. And I'm going to quote in the English translation to the best that I can do. The Torah commands, Zohar Remember what Amalek did to you? Do not forget. Quote, Paraphrasing these phrases, our sages had in mind cases such as yours when they taught, recall verbally and do not forget in your heart. I.e., recall and do not forget that Rashi's Goyim Amalek. This is that Pasuk. The, in Parshish Balak, where Bilam is coming to curse Klaisel, he says, Rashi's Goyim Amalek. The literal translation of that means, the first nation that started up with the Jews is Amalek. Listen to how the Rebbe the Rashab translated the Pasuk. Rashi's Goyim Amalek, the first of the nations is Amalek, the first stage in a man's spiritual decline, in the course of which he begins to be, like all the nations, is an Amalek-like frigidity in his observance of the Torah and the commandments. You want to know how you turn into a guy? What happened to that family, you wonder, sometimes? It happened because there wasn't a vigor, an inspiration. For in the phrase concerning Amalek, Asher Karcha, who encountered you on the way, the verb Karcha can also mean who cooled you down. How does a person become like a guy? This is what the Rebbe said in 1943. You know how you become like a guy? If you're cold, if you're apathetic to Yiddishkeit. That's the battle of Amalek. And never more than in our generation do we see people that go through the motions. We all do. We say, I have no idea what I just said. No idea if I said it, what I said. That's because you're not, you're not on fire. If you'd be on fire, you'd be blessed are you, the Lord, master of the universe. Right? You'd say it's like, you know, then you look at the guy like he's a little nuts. Right, because you don't do that. But in your mind, that's what you're supposed to be thinking. Right? That's how we should be saying every bracha. When we say, Ask the Rav, do we have to read Davin? I forgot to say all the other. You mean, you just went through all, you said all the words, and you, you just went through Yiddishkeit. We go through Shabbos, we go through Purim, we go through Hanukkah. Hanukkah is, you know, it could be so invigorating, and it could be so mechanical, robotic. I come, I light the candles, I'm done. I spent four minutes with my kids, I sang a song, and then we went to eat latkes. That's Hanukkah. That's so sad. That's so sad. Of course people aren't excited about it. What's exciting is when it becomes full of warmth and light and singing and dancing, if that's for you, if that's not for you, then fine. Whatever it is for you that makes it the excitement, that's how we beat Amalek, not once a year, 24-7. We beat that coldness in Yiddishkeit. I want to now take you to a different person that said the same exact thing. And we're not talking about a different person. We're talking about the Rashab. You know, you know when we say the Lubavitcher Rebbe, when we're talking about the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rashab, we're talking about 1904 type of Lubavitcher Rebbe back in Russia, White Russia, Belarus area. And I want to co- compare that to Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein. Anybody know who Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein is? Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein was the centrist modern orthodox YU Talmud. He was the pride and joy of Yeshiva University. I want to read to you what he wrote regarding what centric orthodoxy Judaism believes today and what's their problem. I'm going to quote you a letter that he wrote. What is the danger lurking at the door of this community? Of what does it need to be particularly weary because its inclination lies in that direction? I believe that the sin lurking at the door of the centrist orthodox or religious Zionist community, many of us think that we're part of that camp, 
religious, religious Zionist or centric Orthodox. We could, we could see ourselves in that camp. You know what the sin looking at that door is? The danger which confronts us and of which we need to be fully aware is precisely the danger of shikha. Unfortunately, however, it is very, very susceptible to extended kafira or shikha. Looking at the imminent sense of God felt so deeply, keenly, and pervasively in other parts of our logically committed Jewish world, the centric Orthodox community is one to which the danger distance from God, the 18th century danger, the danger of a certain spiritual hollowness, of apathy, of pushing God open to the corners, is indigenous and endemic. I couldn't have said it any better. I'm just reading what he said. This is the problem with the generation. The generation, we're so passive about Yiddishkeit. We're not on fire about it. We're not excited about it. That's a, and that's Amalek won. And every year, he didn't win. It's, it's not over. It's a constant battle. We're still fighting him. The way we battle him is we come to davening inspired. We come to a mitzvah inspired. The, the Baal Shem Tov, on, towards the end of his life, when he would give people a bracha, he would put his hand on their heart. And he said, the bracha he used to give people is that you should be a varmiyid. He should be a warm Jew. And he didn't mean that they should have wood to be able to light up their house and be able to be warm. The bracha you can give a person is to be a warm yet, to be, to be warmed up a little bit. A little bit of flavor, enjoyment, juice. Juice. That's what it's about. And if Yiddishkeit is not fun for you, you're doing something wrong. If Yiddishkeit is not exciting and invigorating, you're doing something wrong. I feel bad for people that feel like Yiddishkeit is a burden. Because I'm like, then you're doing something, you're doing the wrong thing. You're obviously doing the wrong thing. Because Yiddishkeit is fun. It's, it's, it's exciting. We want to share it with other people because it's that exciting. I'm going to finish with this. The passage that we're going to read says that we have to remember what Amalek did to us. Why are we so apathetic? Why do we not get so inspired? The answer is, and this is Amalek's trick, he says, remember where you came from. He tells us, Don't think you're so special. I remember where you were five minutes ago. I know what you did six minutes ago. I know what you did last night. I know what you shouldn't have been doing that you were doing. He likes to tell us how unimpressive we are. And when we hear how unimpressive we are, we hear him and it makes sense to us. Yeah, we're not that impressive. If we're not that impressive, of course we're not inspired. Because, okay, I have to put on twelve. I'll put on twelve Because I'm not that important. But Derek, Amalek is telling us, I know where you come from. I know what you did last night. And I know what you're thinking of doing tonight. Don't let those thoughts get to you. Yeah, I did something last night. I did something last week. I shouldn't have done. So what? That doesn't define who I am. I made a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. Hashem has no problem with mistakes. Own up to it. Get up. Dust yourself off. You don't lose in a boxing match by getting knocked down. You lose in a boxing match for staying down. You get up and you continue fighting. You can still win. You stay down. You lost. Amalek wants to get us down. He knocks us down. He's like, eh. I know, I know, I know what you're back. You passed. And that gives us a feeling of, I'm not that important. If I'm not that important, then the thing I'm doing must not be that important either. And therefore, I wrap my tulin, I light my Shabbos candles, I bake my challah, I sing my songs, I do my thing. Eh, ho-hum. We battle Amalek every year, and we talk about it all the time. Zachar, never forget what he tried to do. He tried to cause us to become 2022 people, and we will not let it happen. We will be on fire because in Shemayim there's only three types of Jews. Cold Jews, warm Jews, and hopefully us, going forward, Jews on, in flame.